The Copywriter Club podcast is sponsored by AirStory, the writing platform for professional writers who want to get more done in half the time. Learn more at airstory.co forward slash club. What if you could hang out with seriously talented copywriters and other experts, ask them about their successes and failures, their work processes, and their habits, then steal an idea or two to inspire your own work? That's what Rob and I do every week at the Copywriter Club podcast. You're invited to join the club for episode 82 as we chat with freelance copywriter Iman Zabi about how she got into copywriting, dealing with clients who think she's too young, choosing her niche and rebranding to reach her ideal clients, and what it's like to stand on top of Mount Kilimanjaro. Welcome, Iman. Hey, Iman. Hey, thank you. Great to have you here. So we've been able to get to know you. We've had the privilege of getting to know you over the past, well, almost year through the Accelerator program and then now through the Copywriter Think Tank. So we're excited to kind of dig into your past and your copywriting and your business a bit more. A good place to start is with your story. So how did you end up in copywriting? So that's a funny story, actually. I kind of started off as like every brown parent's dream because as a kid, I was like making websites at eight. I was building radios and Morse code oscillators and I was going to be an engineer and I was going to be a great engineer. And then like I started writing and then I got something published by Bloomsbury at 11 and then I ended up at the UN at 15. And then I'm like, oh my goodness, I don't want to be an engineer anymore. My parents were devastated. And then I went into politics and you can't get a job with politics. Like I was unemployed. There was no way I was going to get a job with a degree in international politics. And the market was really bad, so I couldn't get a job. And I started blogging about Kilimanjaro. And then people are like, hey, you're a half-decent writer. Maybe you should write and get paid for it. And Priscilla from the Copywriter Club, actually, she's in the group. And she sent me a link to the podcast. She's like, this might interest you. Oh. And that's basically how I got started. I binge listened to like 20 episodes in less than a week. And I'm like, okay, that's it. I'm going to be a copywriter. So being here is kind of a full circle for me. I did not know that. Like, I didn't know that either. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I, this kind of feels like a proud parent moment, you know, in a, in a way. <laughs> Group hug. No, it's totally cool. So tell us the kind of writing that you're doing right now. At the moment, I'm primarily working with people in the outdoor industry, which is so great for me because I live and breathe it. So a lot of the clients that I'm working with right now, they're women who are trying to make the outdoor industry more inclusive. And it's just such an important thing to me. And it's such a personal cause to me. And with also with businesses who are trying to do more than just make a profit. And yeah. So I want to back up to you said you kind of skimmed over you were published at 15. And then you ended up at the UN. So like, what was that craziness that happened? And how did you get to the UN at age 15? I was doing a lot of debate in the local circuits. I was like national champion. And then I got into like the MUN circuit, model United Nations circuit. And then I got picked to go to the United Nations and present a paper that I wrote about sustainable forest management. And yeah, I got a little award from Ban Ki-moon, which is pretty great. So I peaked at 15, basically. <laughs> yeah, not, a, not at all. Yeah. And, <laughs> and then you went and you studied politics at university. Yes. Yeah. Cool. So I'm still trying to like get my head around the fact that you're a copywriter because you listen to our podcast. Like, you know, I'm sitting here smiling, but <laughs> you made, you made Rob's day. Uh, you have. You've totally made my day. But let's talk about some of the things that you learned as you were listening to the podcast. What was it that you were listening to that made you think, hey, yeah, I can do this. I want to do this. 
So one of the things that I've always felt about writing is that it's not just about sounding pretty and flowery, but it needs to be intentional. It needs to do something to the people that are reading it. And I really heard that when I listened to the people on the podcast, they were talking about it being really intentional and crafting it with psychology and everything. And that just blew my mind. I'm like, this is kind of what I was grasping at my whole life. And I felt like it was kind of my aha moment. Like this is what I was supposed to be doing instead of like faffing about trying politics and engineering and biology and like everything else. Like this is what I felt like I was supposed to be doing. And I got that from your podcast. That's awesome. And no, they're not paying me to say this. Uh, yes, we are. Yes, we are. <laughs> we will pay. No, we're not. <laughs> so when did you listen to the podcast? Was this a year ago? So this was January last year. January. So I've okay. only been in business for a year now. Okay. So can we just talk about that? You've been in business for only a year. You've done really well. We've been able to see your growth. Can you just kind of share kind of the highlight reel of like the growth over the last year? What surprised you the most over the last year? So I got my first client within a couple of days, but it was the craziest client on the planet. And uh, let's not get into that. But I made about 200 bucks my first month and I thought that was a huge deal. And then once I started digging into the podcast and the Facebook group, I learned that there is so much potential to grow with this. And I just kind of went with it. And I was still not really taking it super seriously. But it wasn't until like I did the accelerator. like That was my, okay, I'm going to really buckle down and take this seriously moment. And the accelerator changed everything for me. I'm in the think tank now and that made a huge difference as well. So it was really just going from low budget clients who kind of like, threw things at me at weird hours and expected me to be at their beck and call to better clients who treated me like an equal. And that was really like the big transition for me. So this is something that we've talked about quite a bit on the podcast. And I think also, you know, in the accelerator, the, the think tank, but you are unlike a lot of copywriters just starting out who just try to kind of figure it out all on their own. And they spend a lot of time, I think, spinning their wheels instead of really investing in the learning and figuring it all out. Why did you jump on to the accelerator and trying to figure it out so quickly? What's different about you that so many other people seem to struggle with? So there's really no substitute for learning from people who've done exactly what you want to be doing and learning from your peers who are 10 steps ahead of you and from you guys who have like made it, you know? So like for me, it was just paying to be in a room full of people who know exactly what they're doing and picking their brain at every opportunity and being like the sponge in the room and sucking up all their like brain juices, if that's a word. But <laughs> Or two words, sure. <laughs> or two words. That's a thing. What are some of the things that really stand out to you that you know, you've learned as you've gone through that process? For me, it was really, really just owning my niche. And like, I was still half-assing it with the outdoor industry stuff prior to the accelerator. But then like, once I went through the worksheets and all of like the really introspective questions that you guys put us through with the accelerator, I'm like, okay, I really, really need to do this. And I'm going to go like all out. I put it on my website. I reconfigured my SEO so that I show up on the first page of Google for outdoor copywriter. And that worked out really, really well for me. And it just also just putting together like processes and like getting a solid framework to build my business on. That was basically it for me. And with the think tank, I mean, these are incredibly successful people and I'm easily the dumbest person in the room. And it's great because I get access to so many successful, talented geniuses in this industry. And it's just great. I just like hang around and soak it all in. So how have you been able to find clients over the last year? It sounds like at first you started off like many of us do with clients who are really hard to work with. And then you mentioned that now you're working with some clients that are more like partners and treat you with respect and kind of 
give you the expertise that you have worked towards. So what is the difference for you? What's made that difference so that you're attracting the right people? What have you done? So SEO is a big one for me. People can find me easily. People who are looking specifically for outdoor copywriters, people who understand what a copywriter can do versus people who are just looking for, oh, I need a writer because like, I don't want to write this stuff on my website, you know? And the other thing was writing a couple of pieces that got a fair bit of traction within the outdoor industry. I wrote one about business lessons from Kilimanjaro, which I name drop Kilimanjaro everywhere because it opens doors and it's great. <laughs> <laughs> and I also wrote about diversity in the outdoor industry, which is something I'm super passionate about. And that actually recently helped me. I was contacted by a brand. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say the name of the brand yet. But they are doing some incredible work where they're basically working to create more inclusive gear, but they're also producing it in Guatemala and they're working with a microfinancing institution there and they're trying to provide jobs for women and they're doing some incredible stuff and they're flying me over to write about it and it's just great. And like writing things that really sort of speak to the people in my industry I think that's made the biggest difference of all. So I want to talk more about the outdoor industry, but first, before we move on, tell us a little bit about what you did with SEO to make yourself stand out. Was it just real basic stuff or did you do anything slightly surprising? No, really, really basic stuff because there are not a lot of people out there who are really optimizing for like outdoor copywriter. They're really not that many. And most of them have like sites that look like they're from the 90s. So (laughs) it wasn't too hard. Like just, (laughs) just regular keyword research, metadata, like keyword dropping and headlines, just really, really basic stuff. And it worked. It worked really well. And like, I'm on Wix. So if I can get my SEO up to mark with Wix, anybody can. Yeah, I will say that I have never been a fan of Wix at all until I saw your website. And I was like, oh, I guess you can do great things with Wix. You have one of the most beautiful websites I've seen. It's incredible. Thank you. <laughs> you should be the spokesperson for Wix. You should connect. I really should. Like, I love them. So speaking to what you've done well, like SEO, you mentioned content, writing about your niche, writing about content, you know, you live and breathe, and then choosing your niche and kind of like going all in, updating your website so that you're speaking to it. You also have changed your packages over the last year too. And you mentioned that a little bit, but can you share how your packages have evolved? Because you did start off kind of taking any project, right? Like as an order taker. And now you are still working on it, but you're creating a lookbook with packages. Can you share that? Yeah. So I started off with, I think I had maybe like seven or eight services on my website and I didn't like doing more than half of them. I'm not a fan of writing social media copy, but it was up there and that's what people were coming to me for. But I hated it and it made me miserable. And the first thing I did was I got rid of a bunch of those. So I only had like four. I have four up there, maybe three. But moving forward, I wanted to just really create really tight packages so that I just have something that I could show to people and be like, this is what I'm doing. And we can work around it, but like, these are my specialties just to show up and to justify charging higher prices for them as well. Because a thing I've struggled with a lot is charging the prices that I now believe that I deserve to charge. And it's just even coming to the point where I could say, okay, I deserve to charge higher rates was a struggle. But now I'm at the point where I feel like I have to justify those rates. So the lookbook and creating that lookbook was sort of my way of coming to terms with it. And also just really showing up with something that looks professional so that Anybody who's making that investment can also see that I'm taking it seriously and also justify making that investment. So as you shrunk down the packages or the services that you offered, you know, so many people, when we talk about doing things like that, they think, well, I 
can't do that because then I'm giving up too much work. What did you find with clients that approached you? Did you lose work or did you find that it had a different impact? I mean, honestly, at that point, I wasn't worried about losing the work because you'd have to pay me a hell of a lot to make me do Facebook posts now. I just wouldn't do it. I didn't get rid of the packages altogether. I just raised the prices to the point where like, it would be worth it for me to do it. I would charge like crazy amounts of money to do a Facebook post, but I wouldn't charge as much to do emails because I really enjoy doing them. So I didn't necessarily lose work. I kind of just raised my rates a lot. The lookbook you're mentioning, I mean, I would describe it as kind of like almost like a menu of services. It's highly visual. It's almost like something you would see if you're working with a branding consultant or a web designer and they send you the pricing package with this beautiful visual. That's really what you've created that has helped show the value of what you're charging with your packages. I wish you could share it with everybody. I don't know if you can, but it's gorgeous. My question is, can you share like how much you've raised your prices? Because we know, and we know it hasn't been easy, but you've come a long way with your prices over the last year. Yeah, for sure. I started off, I think January last year, I was still charging 10 cents per word and I was still charging by the word. And I just jumped from that. I jumped to charging, say like, $50 per email. And now I'm up to 250 per email, hopefully going to raise a little bit higher soon. So it's just been like incremental. It's still not nearly as high as a lot of people. But it's been a slow process. Because for me, I just I feel like I need to justify raising that price at every interval. So yeah, I did an entire website for 600 bucks once, which was not great. I raised my prices immediately after that one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What would you say to people who say, no, you got to pay your dues. You know, you've got to earn your way up. So the first year, 10 cents a word, and then, you know, you double that, or maybe, you know, you increase it a little bit, but you've got to pay your dues to learn what you're doing. You haven't done that. I went through probably one of the most rigorous college experiences I can ever talk about. It was just crazy. And it cost me about $200,000. Whoa. So I feel like I paid my dues. Yeah, I think you have paid your dues. <laughs> yeah. Check. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't argue with that at all, of course. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of people, especially writers, we get into that mindset, you know, I'm just starting out, so I can't justify a higher price, even if I'm good because I don't have the experience. And yeah. it seems like you've overcome that really quickly and done a really good job pricing yourself as a professional. Well, even though I didn't feel like a professional at the time, I realized that I had invested in myself already. And I've been somebody who's been learning and growing my entire life. And I do know that I do bring value to the table. I know I'm young and I know I'm inexperienced, but I don't think that diminishes the value I can bring. And I wanted my pricing to reflect that. Yeah, I think we've talked about this before on the show, but it's easy to forget when we jump into copywriting and all of a sudden we're calling ourselves a copywriter and now we're we're a business owner for the first time. It's really easy to forget all of the experience that we've had leading up to that. Sometimes that's in school, sometimes that's, you know, 10 years in various roles in different companies. So I know I forgot that too when I jumped into my business and then I had to remind myself like you've been working for 15 years. Like this you've got a lot of experience. So you've mentioned the accelerator and the think tank. Can you just describe both of them in your own words? I mean, Rob and I could describe them, but that's not the point because there might be someone listening who's never heard of either one of those programs that we offer. So could you just kind of let them know what each one is about? The Copywriter Club Accelerator for me was just something to build a rock solid foundation. So really check all the boxes and have like an airtight business. And the process is to get everything running like a well-oiled machine, even before you have big clients coming in. So like when you have your basics down and you have the systems in place to handle bigger clients, I think that's really the biggest thing that I got out of the Accelerator. And it's great to 
network and like build relationships with other copywriters because I still think like 75% of my work still comes from other copywriters. And with the think tank, it's like the accelerator on steroids. Like the people who come in to talk to us, they're incredibly talented, successful people who really made it big in the industry. And then there's just so much to learn. I've probably learned more in the think tank and accelerator than I have in like four years of college. Yeah, that's impressive. So one of the things that I've noticed you've done really well, Iman, is that you get yourself out in front of clients. You've written for Huffington Post. I know that you've been, as you mentioned, very upfront about your experience on Kilimanjaro and sharing that. You've cold pitched clients that you want to work with. Talk about how you think about that and going after clients that you want to work with. So I'm super introverted and I feel like a lot of the times my business feels introverted and like I'm reading Dan Kennedy's No BS Time Management for Entrepreneurs that you guys sent us for Christmas and he talks about having no phone, no in- like no email, no website, and like just working through facts and that's the dream for me. <laughs> that would be incredible. I can see this happening. Yeah. I would love to get there before I'm 60. That would be great. <laughs> But I do cold pitch a lot. And like my strategy for cold pitching is really just practically doing a background check on the person I'm emailing. Like I find out everything I could possibly find out about the person and write an email that really feels like them. And there's been only one time that I haven't gotten a response to a cold pitch, which I think is pretty like, I mean, it, it works. It really, really works well for me, cold pitching. And in terms of really getting out there, I feel like my marketing has not been that great. I don't really use social media to the extent that other people do. And like, I know that's somewhere I really, really need to work on, but I really haven't done too much on that front. But cold pitching, yeah, it works. Well, and I think there's always more you can do, but at the same time, I feel like you're really clear about what you like and what you don't like and what you're focused on right now. Can you share a little bit more about that? Because we've had conversations where you're like, I do not want to do this and I'm not going to do it, but I will cold email people and I will write articles. There's something really powerful about knowing what gives you energy and what doesn't, and that may change over time. So there's one thing I know I'm never, ever going to do. Doesn't ever. (laughs) And that's making a course. Oh, right, 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 right. It just sounds like the most exhausting process in the world. And I don't have the stamina for that. I'm a sprinter. Like I can't commit to doing something that long term. I don't think I would be able to do that. And I know that's not something I'm going to be able to do. But shorter projects like emails and like I've just like deleted my email list and started over. And that feels really, really good. And like writing emails, doing website copy, doing that sort of work, I really enjoy. And I know that's what I would like to do. So you do work in the outdoor industry. That's yeah. where you've you know decided to niche. Tell us why you chose that. And also, are there certain things that a writer who might want to work in outdoor needs to know that are different from somebody who might work in, say, tech or working for an entrepreneur you know, or some other business type? So the biggest thing about the outdoor industry is that if you want to write about it, you need to be in it. You need to be trying the gear. You need to be getting out there, hiking, getting as much experience as possible because People in the outdoor industry, they're pretty seasoned. They're going to sniff out a fake in no time. So you really, really need to be like on top of your game. And another thing is as a woman writing in the outdoor industry, there's still a little bit of that boys club feel to it. Like there is still a bit of the stuff like, oh, like, you know, women can't really do the PCT, blah, 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 and things like that. You do need to go in knowing that there is going to be a little bit of sexism hurled towards you. And you need to be able to like use your writing and use your position and your experience in the outdoor industry to fight that. And I think that's a really powerful thing to be able to do. 
Iman, we kind of skimmed over it, but like you mentioned throwing away your list of 700 people on your email <laughs> list. And 700 people is a good amount of people. I think we'd all agree. So why did you just trash the list and how are you building it back up again? So I had a travel blog, which I've archived now because I can't manage both of these at the same time. But I had written a lot about Kilimanjaro and about some different adventures and travel and so on. And I got a fairly big list. And when I told people that I'm moving over to copywriting and I'm writing for the outdoor industry, blah, 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 people like around 700 people or a little bit more actually, just kind of switch lists and signed up for my newsletter. And I didn't email them very much. They weren't my target audience. These were just like random backpackers who like to hear about like what I did in Georgia or what I did in Kilimanjaro or Tanzania or so on. They weren't business owners. They weren't people who had the kind of budget I wanted. So I just really just deleted the list. I didn't give them an option of like signing up again or anything. I just deleted the list. <laughs> it might have been a little bit impulsive on hindsight, but I feel like it was a good start. I had six people sign up on my very first day of like restarting, which was good. And it's up to 100 plus right now. And I started doing email deconstruction. So I called it anatomy of an email. And I'm just like breaking down emails. And I'm talking about like, what works, what doesn't the psychology of them and everything. I sent a really an email that uses evolutionary theory to talk about Moose Jaw's marketing campaigns. So it was fun. And I like what I'm doing now. And I feel like this is something I'd be more consistent with as well. So where do you see your business going from here? That's a good one. I'm not sure I know the answer to that. I'm really someone who just sort of flies by the seat of her pants, but I would really like to get to the point where I'm working with maybe three clients a month tops and maybe taking like a couple of months off every year. That would be pretty great. That's really the goal. Aim small. I actually think that's aiming high. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, like take, take like three months off a year. No big deal. I think that's yeah. a great goal. And we've had people on the show like Sean D'Souza who do that. Yeah. I'm trying to think. We've had a couple other ones as well. You mentioned your anatomy of an email. So this is now your signature service, right? And how did you package this service and what, what's the goal behind it? So that's actually the title of the newsletter that I put together. So that's like the series I'm doing. But my signature service... I'm still working on it, but it's going to be around emails. I'd like to offer three packages within that sort of package, maybe launch sequences, welcome sequences, maybe like a nurture sequence or a sales sequence as well, and take them through the whole thing, like do the strategy, the writing, everything, the research, like a really solid package and like price appropriately for it as well. And that's really the goal because I feel like emails are something I just really, really enjoy doing. And it's something I'm pretty decent at as well. So that's really the goal for that. Yeah, you're really good. We've worked together on emails and you're one of the best people I've worked with on emails. It's really incredible. So we've mentioned that you are young-ish. How, how have you... And I don't, know, I don't know your exact age. Heck of a lot younger than Rob is for sure. <laughs> so how have you dealt with ageism with potential clients, you know, jumping on calls and people comment or react to the fact that you're younger than they expected. How have you dealt with that in your business? So I'm 23, but a lot of the times I look a lot younger, especially if I'm not like wearing any makeup or anything. I look like I'm probably 17 or 18 a lot of the time. So that's been a bit of a problem for me, especially initially people would comment on the fact, oh, are you really, do you really have any experience and stuff like that? So 
if I'm getting on a video call with like a client, I really try and look older. I know this sounds really <laughs> dumb, but I would put glasses on, wear, wear a collared shirt and try and look really professional because a lot of the time people think young, inexperienced, slacker, they throw in all the millennial stereotypes. And I really am not any of those things except maybe young, but I would do whatever I could to sort of put on the facade of being like a really grown up person, even though like I'm an idiot who likes like blow up dinosaurs. I really try and hide that side of me. And if they do bring up my age, I change the topic. I'm like, oh, sorry, my cat came in or like whatever, whatever I need to do to change the topic. But if they are someone who's like trying to tap into the millennial market and tackle things that younger audiences care about, then hell yeah, like I own the fact that I'm young and I go for it. You mentioned earlier that you were trying to create some impact with the clients that you work with and the kinds of things that you do in your business. And if I remember right, you did something pretty interesting around the holidays, not as a promotion, but like as a way to give back. Will you tell us about what you did? With my signature service that I was offering at the time, which was a website and copy audit, I decided to adopt one animal for every client that I worked with. And then I also adopted an animal for every every one of the bigger clients that I worked with last year. And I've made that a part of my process this year. So every single client that I worked with in 2018, I'm adopting an animal for. Which is cool. Now, you're not talking about like moving in with a cat. You're No, no. Like, <laughs> I, <laughs> I've, I've adopted a couple of great whites, a couple of tigers. I think I did a llama for Kira. No, I got a penguin. I got a penguin. Oh, you got a penguin. Okay, you got a penguin. I did a llama yeah. for someone else. My son is obsessed. It's no leopard for other people. Yeah. Yeah. But I think this is such a cool idea because, you know, in addition to its connection to the outdoor industry, which you want to write for, you're, you are making an impact in the world. And I think that's just a really cool way to set yourself apart from everybody else, not just all the other writers, but everybody in the outdoor industry as well. I mean, animals were a huge part of my life growing up. I lived in the Middle East in a desert where there really weren't too many. So I didn't watch cartoons growing up. I would watch National Geographic and I would pretend to be Steve Irwin and like go say crikey at whatever bugs I could find. And like, I wanted to be that person and I loved animals. And my mom was a zoologist. So I really had that in me. And like, I had a microscope instead of toys and I would dissect things as a kid and like, just nature was a huge part of my life. And that sort of translated into like a huge passion for the outdoors and for animals as well. And I think as someone in the outdoor industry, I think anybody who's in the outdoor industry has a responsibility to look after the planet because like we're the forefront. We are the people who are out there a lot of the time. And I think we're people who could make the most impact. And I try and do that with other aspects of my business as well. Like if I'm getting business cards made, like I make sure they're the moo ones that are made of recycled t-shirts instead of like regular paper. I try not to print. It's a bit of a lifestyle thing for me. And I'm trying to translate that into my business as well. And so you pull it together through your website and your brand, which I've mentioned before is beautiful. For other copywriters listening who are like, okay, you know, I need to build my website and share my brand and my viewpoints, just like Iman, what advice would you give them if they're DIYing their website? It's actually a lot easier than people think. And I neither had time nor money when I built mine. And I only spent $43 on hosting and like on my entire website so far. Honestly, the advice that I would give is not try and go like really fancy if it's not something you can handle yourself. Like a lot of people jump in like the deep end with WordPress and like they don't know what HTML is. They've never played around with all of that stuff. And if they mess something up, it's really hard for them to go back and fix it. 
Like if you don't have the technical know-how, go with something easier. You can make things like Wix work. And I do know how to use HTML. I do have a programming background, but I still chose to go with Wix simply because it's a lot faster and easier to manipulate on the go. And honestly, when you're starting off, done is better than perfect. And if it's something that you can tweak as you go along, it's even better. Yeah. I mean, as nice as your site looks, the thing that I really like about your site is just the way that you've outlined your packages and your process. It's very easy to read through. And when you get to the bottom of the page, you know exactly what you offer. You know exactly what working with you is like. I really like it. It's a great site. Thank you. Put a lot of work, a lot of tears and caffeine into it. (laughs) (laughs) So you have moved recently. Can you share that experience, where you moved and how you dealt with a huge move while also running a business? Okay, fun story about this. So I was born in Qatar and I grew up in Qatar, but I came to Vancouver, BC when I was seven years old on a holiday to visit my aunt. And I fell in love with this place. So on this trip, coincidentally, I actually watched the IMAX movie Kilimanjaro. So I basically made up my mind about two things. One, that I was going to climb Kilimanjaro, and two, that I would love to move to Vancouver at some point. And those are two things that I made up my mind about when I was seven. And then I went back to Doha, to the desert and the heat and the sandstorms. And then I climbed Kilimanjaro when I was 19, I think. Yeah, I think I was 19. So when I was 19, and I moved to Vancouver ooh, two months ago. So that was pretty much like a huge life goal accomplished for me because I've wanted to do this practically my whole life. And it's been really hard because it's just different over here because when I was in Doha, I had a full-time job. My day was pretty much packed. I would get off work, go to the gym, work out for maybe like an hour, one and a half hours, come home around 9 p.m. and then work on my business till 2 a.m., get up at 5 a.m., go to work again. Whoa! So I had a really ridiculous schedule in Doha. So now I come here and I have all of this time and it's a little bit disconcerting. So like two days after I landed, I went and signed up for boxing lessons and then found a karate gym for myself. So now I work out for around five hours every day. So like my day is like structured. Now I have like a time in between my workouts to work on my business. And that's the only thing that's like keeping me productive now. Wow. Okay. <laughs> you're, you're like so badass. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So much we could talk about there. We've mentioned Kilimanjaro several times. So yeah, I want to hear about this trip. I mean, we sort of know why you set the goal, but tell us about the actual trip, what you did, what you encountered. And I'm really curious, you know, how that's impacted how you write. Has it changed anything? So for me, like... As I mentioned already, it was a huge like emotional like thing for me to actually get to Kilimanjaro. I made that promise to myself when I was seven, but I didn't really think I'd be able to do it. But when the opportunity presented itself at university, there was a leadership challenge and they were going to take eight people up the mountain and we got to do it free of charge. It was great because it usually costs around 50 grand to do it. And wow. so there was like a whole series of fitness tests and like your like psychological profile to see whether you can handle the mental stress of all of this and everything. And then they picked four girls and four guys to take us up the mountain. It was grueling. And we trained for months just to get into shape. It really was one of the most rewarding things I've ever done in my life. And then the mountain itself, because one thing that really struck me is no matter how fit you are at ground level, altitude is going to hit you and it hits everyone differently. So you could be walking next to somebody who was probably not as fit as you at ground level, but altitude has no effect on them and they feel perfectly fine. Whereas you feel like hell spat you out again. And oh, it was exhausting. It was the first time I saw snow, which was great for me. 
was really exciting. I saw snow in Africa, <laughs> which was cool. But yeah, and I learned a lot about myself. And like a close friend of mine said that I would get up and down that mountain on sheer stubbornness alone. And that was true because it was really not easy for me. So Rob and I were thinking of climbing it together as like a team. You should totally yeah. do it. You should <laughs> totally do it. Yeah. What's the view like from the top? Say, oh, you know, save me the trip. It's incredible. <laughs> just at base camp, just before you summit, there's this point where you are so high above the clouds and then the clouds are sort of lit from below. And then, of course, you have like the Milky Way and the galaxies and the stars from above. And it's just the most surreal thing in the world. I've never seen anything like that. And then you see the sunrise while you're summiting. And like the Lion King sunrise has nothing on that view. It is incredible. Wow. What else did you learn about yourself? That I need to ask for help more. I injured myself on descent because I was trying to go too fast. And my knee sort of blew up to the point where it was like kind of elephant size. It was ridiculous. But I was really stubborn to the point where I wouldn't give up my pack. I wanted to carry my own stuff. I didn't want help. And it took me five hours longer than everybody else to get back to base camp. But I would have saved myself a lot of pain and effort if I had just put my pride aside and if I'd asked for help. And that's something that I need to constantly remind myself that it's okay to need help. I have to tell myself that even with my business, like it's okay to reach out and ask for referrals. It's okay to ask for help. It's okay to admit that you need help. And has that experience made you a better writer in any way? Yeah. So one of the things that they told us on the mountain is to slow down. So if you climb too fast, you risk getting altitude sickness. So pole pole is the one thing that they would tell us all the time. And that's something that I kind of like to use when I write as well, because I'm someone who does a lot of like adrenaline fueled writing. And it's like, I just sort of like last minute, try and get it all out there. But I have to remind myself to slow down and kind of let the writing breathe and then go back and work things out. So that's something that like, it's affected my writing, but it's also like, part of my life as well now. To just remind myself to slow down. Pole pole. Pole pole. That's such a good lesson. Pole pole your way to success. All right. So I want to ask you what you think it takes to be a great, no, not just great, to be a remarkable copywriter in today's marketplace. I think everyone after a certain level has their own special superpowers and they're really, really good at what they do. But I think the people that we all know as remarkable or as great copywriters, they're the people who make themselves stand out in some way. And I think branding is a huge part of that. Like, Kira, you have an incredible brand. Like, so do you, Rob. And like, Hillary, you have, and Laura Belgrave, Jumping Trimp. I mean, those are things that just stick in your head. And when you think of copywriters, those are the people you think of because they're so out there and their brands are a real embodiment of who they are. And they're all super talented, but there are a lot of people who are super talented writers, but you remember them. And that's because they have these incredibly vivid brands that just come to life. And yeah, so branding for sure. That's what's exciting about what at least I'm seeing. And Rob, I imagine you're seeing the same thing with copywriters in the accelerator group, especially the most recent one is they're really embracing their brand the way that you did as well. And it does seem like it's becoming a more important factor in their business and something that people are more focused on today as they're building their business and understanding that, yes, you can be a great writer, but there's this other component of standing out and getting out there. I've seen a lot of really interesting brands pop up over the last few months. Yeah, for sure. I think nobody is just that corporate stiff, like really boring person anymore. Everybody has more to them. And when they bring that side of their personality to their brand, I mean, that's when the magic happens, right? Yeah, for sure. So Eamon, if you had a time machine, it could go back to last year where you were just starting out. What advice would you give yourself 
as far as what to what to do over the next year? First things first, I would tell myself to ditch the 10 cents per word model, go straight to project or at least an hourly system at the very least to stop trying to use Upwork because that wasn't a great idea, but that didn't last long anyway. To niche right away and a lot of my issues starting off were like self-doubt and imposter syndrome and things like that. So it was really just, I tell myself to like believe in yourself a little bit more and it took going through the accelerator and the think tank to get to a point where I don't like hate on myself all the time and like doubt myself and compare myself to everybody else in the industry. I would just tell myself to be a little bit kinder to myself and go easier on myself. And what about the retainer model? I believe you've dabbled in that as well. Is that something that you'd recommend that's worked for you? I don't particularly enjoy retainers, but I do enjoy the safety net that they bring. So I wouldn't tell myself to stay away from it. But I think the stability that a retainer model would bring, I think that's great, especially when you're starting out. And there's no reason why I would tell myself to stay away from it. Well, Iman, we want to find out where we can all find you. If someone's listening and they want to get in touch with you, reach out to you, where can they find you? So I'm fairly active on Twitter. My Twitter handle is Iman underscore Zabi, E-M-A-N underscore Z-A-B-I. I'm on Instagram, Iman.Zabi. I have a Facebook page. Oh, and my website. We've seen you pop into the Copywriter Club Facebook group from time to time. Oh, yeah, of course. I'm, I'm there yeah. a lot. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Thank Iman. You. Yeah, me too. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. <laughs> You've been listening to the Copywriter Club podcast with Kira Hug and Rob Marsh. Music for the show is a clip from Gravity by Whitest Boy Alive, available in iTunes. If you like what you've heard, you can help us spread the word by subscribing in iTunes and by leaving a review. For show notes, a full transcript, and links to our free Facebook community, visit thecopywriterclub.com. We'll see you next episode.